0: It's uh, part two. Oh, sorry. This uh, um, welcome to coffee with the Sarlos. <laughs> I gotta get my poop together here. Um, this is part two of uh, Kelly and I talking about our story, um, and uh, we did take um, a seventeen day break because we got hungry, and um, in between the show. So anyhow, this is your story, and Kelly was talking about and and the. In the when we ended the first part, um, about how you came into discovering your gifts. But even before that, when you childhood, like when you didn't even know about gifts, we didn't know right. anything about these things, but just when we can reflect back on some of the stories and some of the different, um, situations that occurred that, uh, have a different perspective for you now. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of them that just always comes to my mind, Kelly is your wolves,
1: Mhm. Yeah, I can't believe I forgot to mention that.
0: Yeah, so if you just go off and talk about the wolves for a while,
1: that'd be great. <laughs> I'm just going to sip my coffee. Um yeah, I remember from I don't even know how young I was. Um so maybe you'll have to jump in and and tell me. I'd say around 3. Okay. And so my not that it matters where my window is from my bedroom, but I'm on the second floor and I always saw a wolf in the driveway climbing up the wall. Okay. I'm a kid, um, climbing up the wall and into my bedroom window. And it scared me. I remember being so terrified and saying different, you know, different variations of the same thing to you. Um, the wolf is coming, he's in the driveway, he's coming to get me, uh, not knowing what any of it meant and just being scared of it. And, um, I remember you you know, telling me that I was safe, reminding me that the window was closed, reminding that reminding me that wolves couldn't climb up brick, <laughs> um, that they couldn't scale a house. So, and it reminds me very much of of the story in the previous episode where you were talking about how your dad wanted to educate you properly about the embalming process, so that you could uh, sort of remove your fear that the person was still alive. But he didn't understand that it was a beautiful thing that you were seeing this. Um, So you, out of your place of being a mom and wanting to love me and keep me safe, um, wanted to give me all the logic of why there was no wolf. Um, And so that was comforting at the time, I think, uh, in some kind of weird way, because I still saw it. Um, But you telling me that I was safe was a comfort. Um, It wasn't until decades later well no sorry a decade later um, i was working one of my first jobs in the mall at Foot Locker and <clears throat> it was a gentleman that walked in just looking for shoes i was working with a couple other friends at the time and he walked up to me and said i'm a psychic would you like information i said oh my god absolutely and one of the things that came through that he said was you have wolf energy your your power animal is wolf and of course, everything's clicking in at this point going, Oh my God, my whole lives, I've been seeing wolves. Um, I guess I said (laughs) lies this whole life I've been seeing wolves. And so I remember coming home and telling you this, and I remember you crying because you had just been starting to get into all of this stuff, um, educating yourself. Understanding that there are such things as power animals and spirit animals, um, and that it's the energy that you carry with you, the the characteristics of that, those qualities, um, that help you through life, and you you sincerely apologized, which you've always been really wonderful at, um, and I think most people have no idea what that even means. Um, there was a, a very sincere apology that you had. in in an honest attempt to keep me safe or keep me feeling safe, that you had taken away or shut down one of my gifts. And that that wolf had been there all along, in truth, uh, in an energetic way, to to love me. And that it was part of my own soul. And that you you were very sorry that you had um, tried to shoo it away.
0: Lack of education. Yeah. Similar to my father. And I like how you parallel the two,
1: but, but an intention just the same as your father, which I think is really cool because I mean, I could spend, I could spend time being mad at that and saying, look what you did take no responsibility for, for my own life at, you know, 27. Um, but I can understand where the intention was and I can understand that when someone walks up to you and says, I am so sorry, this is not what I intended to do, but this is what I see. I, I did Mm -hmm. in the process. Um, it's just that much easier to move
0: on. Um, I thank you. mm -hmm, First of all, thank you. And I think it's a good thing for people to hear what a sincere apology does, Mm -hmm. but that in order to have a sincere apology, you do have to do your work. First of all, to educate yourself and understand yourself, your own actions, your own thoughts and be able to see your own ego in it.
1: Uh But also to see the other person's perspective, which I don't think you do. Yeah, We just think I didn't mean to, so I don't have to apologize. And it just because you didn't mean to doesn't mean it didn't hurt.
0: That's right. Or to give a half-hearted apology. Mm -hmm. To be able to say, sorry, sorry, sorry. Oh, sorry about that. Yeah. And then, yeah, you didn't mean it. You know you didn't mean it, but you're throwing it out there because it'll give you control over the other person. Mm -hmm. But anyway, back to your story about Mm -hmm. the wolves. So I'm curious, how do the wolves play with you now?
1: Oh, what, what kind uh, of what
0: part do they have in your life? Lots
1: of calm, which is weird. Or oh, Sorry, not weird. I hate using that word. Ironic, even um, that that I had so much fear of them when I was a kid uh, that they're they're actually the dogs, the big, big dogs that come and sit energetically on my bed when I'm having anxiety, because I had years and years of anxiety, uh, especially throughout high school and university. Um, they come through in the treatments to help me connect better. Mm. Um, yeah, there's several ways and in dreams too. I remember dreaming about them when I was a kid. Um, and maybe that's, you know, because there were nightmares at some point, maybe that's why in my waking world, the wolves frightened me because I paralleled them to the, to the fear that I felt in the nightmares um but no the wolves have done tremendous things for me to to feel safe.
0: Well is it okay if I kind of uh, yes, throw some things there in are about things wolves? I forget. Okay. So but wolf energy Kelly is the teacher. Wolf shows up when it's time for teaching or when the student is ready mm-hmm. or when you're ready to be a teacher to help you facilitate or use your own gifts as a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, But they also, when I think of a wolf pack, a wolf pack is able to communicate to itself, to all of the different members. So when they're in a hunt and they're chasing deer, let's say a deer, um, they surround the deer. Some will run ahead in front of the deer. Some run beside the deer and some run behind the deer in case he's going to turn around and go in a different direction. So wolves communicate. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that's clear to me, is that they came into your life because of your abilities to listen, mm-hmm. your abilities to communicate telepathically, your um, like who you are in the sense of community, how you try to be um, able to communicate, I'll say telepathically, whether you're with friends or clients or just standing in the grocery store. But how your, your intention, and, and through world events, when there's a world event that's going on, how you have an intention to help people heal, how you speak to their spirit. To, when we were helping find the missing girl um, in Levine last summer, or two summers ago, um, how you connected with her spirit, how you were able to talk to the animals in the woods at that time. When I think to keep her safe so that they wouldn't be around her during the night. When I think of your connection as a little girl with wolves and what they do um, and the significance of how they help you be you.
1: Mm. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely a large role.
0: And, And, you know, other cultures understand this. They mm-hmm. wouldn't sit and listen to this and think, oh my God, what a bunch of crap those two are talking about. Well, I'm,
1: think- I'm pretty sure they probably turned this off at part one then.
0: <laughs> if that's yeah. how you feel. Mm-hmm. But the fact that there are other cultures right here in our own community and all over this continent and in other countries all over the world that know about power animals, that understand and value what every single insect bird snake Mm -hmm. animal every creature that has been created how they have a meaning and a purpose and how as human beings if we bother to educate ourselves that we can embrace that Mm -hmm. meaning and their energy okay onward is that good with the wolves or do you (gasps) i've got more to ask you sure okay um did you make notes I, I wrote down a oh couple of things. I, I I remembered in the when we were going to get coffee at Tim Hortons that you had had an experience. I'm fast forward, like I'm bouncing all over the place now. But there's
1: caffeine in that coffee, or no? No.
0: Okay. Oh boy. <laughs> um, this is just me. Um, when you called one day from university, um, could you? I just want you to. I don't know if this has anything to do with your gifts or whatever, but you were talking about the professor in one class in one of your psych classes, but I can't remember which one. Um, when he's, he was saying that people who hear, who say they hear thoughts, um, it's mental illness.
1: Oh, his only redeeming quality is that he looks like Richard Gere.
0: Okay. That would be good.
1: (laughs) I I wasn't upset about it. (laughs) He was my psychopathology teacher. So studying, um, pathology, which is a disease right in the brain. Oh Um, so fascinating class. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, one of the first things he said after he introduced himself in the, in the first day was that he believed the world was heavily under medicated, um, which blew my mind. Um, prerequisite for my degree, by the way, which is why I stayed in the course. (laughs) Um, but yeah, he, he said that anyone who was hearing thoughts was schizophrenic. So the only possibility could be schizophrenia.
0: And what was your response? I don't know. Are you going to tell me? Well, I don't, I don't know if you're remembering and I don't want to put words in your mouth. So if I'm remembering incorrectly, please say so. Yeah. But I thought that you had said that you put your hand up and that you said, but what about shamans? But what about, and that you had said, but there are healers, healers, there are, there's intuition, there's, there are shamans and his response was I honestly
1: don't know. So if you remember this, Oh, then that's I just better. remember
0: you saying that his response was no there aren't and it's all mental illness and that you felt really angry.
1: Mm-hmm. I blocked that out. <laughs> let's, let's talk more about psychology. <laughs> Apparently I suppressed that in order to get my degree. <laughs>
0: uh, oh, you know, it's interesting to me Kelly that I hope people hear this <clears throat> and think what do you have to suppress in order to get your paper <laughs> <laughs> oh like what do you have yeah. to suppress in any education if you're a chiropractor what do you have to suppress and if, if you intuitively know somebody has a pain but you're not allowed to go to it you have to go through a process
1: I because I, I think some people might be thinking well there's the, there's always the arts and it's like yeah but you think about how much you suppress even when you're in the arts programs when you're you paint one way but they want to teach you a different way you you draw Mm -hmm. one way but you you know they want to teach you the rules and how we ever figure out a more creative way if we keep sticking to these these um boxy ways of of thinking Mm -hmm. um i i do want to say though that i don't know if i'm saying this in his defense or what but uh he worked for decades with the ottawa police um With criminals, so he was Mm. the court ordered psychiatrist that these, I'll say, high level um, Mm -hmm. uh, inmates had to had to go and see. Oh my god! I would only imagine that after years and years of this kind of a job, you have to start believing that it's mental illness um, in order to keep prescribing, right? Um, Like he's he's dealing with the pedophiles, he's dealing with. the really hard, hard issues that I I think people in Western culture don't really know how else to deal with. Yeah. So for me to have brought up, what about the intuitives? How does he
0: then separate? Yeah, I guess that would be a very difficult place for him to be if he has to make sure that society stays safe, and it's on his shoulders to deem them mentally ill, Mm -hmm. so that they're medicated or institutionalized, whether it's by jail or by psychiatric facility that's Mm -hmm. locked, Mm -hmm. Um, but not leaving really any door open to the fact that some of these very people are behaving in certain ways. And I won't just say that I'm justifying criminal behavior, but out of frustration, perhaps, Mm -hmm. um, or not being able to be taught how to use their gifts. Mm -hmm. So somebody might have these, you know, this might, bring a whole conversation around you know this is why I'm scared of people with these gifts what if they're all mentally ill what if they're all mean Mm -hmm. what if they're all going to hurt me and that that's like you know just saying all priests are pedophile Mm
1: -hmm.
0: pedophiles that's not fair Mm -hmm. it's not fair by a long shot to say anything like that where you throw everybody into one thing yeah and that hurts a whole culture to do things like that but we do it Mm-hmm. We we certainly see it. Anyway, next story. Oh, okay.
1: Is I that- feel like I need to debrief after this I'm that all over again.
0: <laughs> okay. No,
1: it's interesting though because like like yeah. we were talking about universities where I was really discovering the gifts. Um and not to mention, I don't maybe these don't even tie in together, but at this point I had already lost a friend to suicide mm. um because I had dropped out in, th- in my third year. And then finished university after a year off. Um, so to have been, I, I think, uh, so close to someone who uh, I'm using quotes here, who had mental illness, which for him was his depression. Um, and he, he, you know, he found his way out. Uh, for a, an ignorant professor to stand up and just say everything is mental illness. What separates me from the person who takes their life? What separates me from the person? hears voices and sees people, but they say negative things. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, yeah, I was angry because it probably brought up some fears too, right? And directly related to you. So I'm sitting here, you know, four hours away from you going, oh, okay. If I accept what this guy is saying, Mm -hmm. that means my mom is severely ill. Mm -hmm. Helping people, but severely ill. (laughs) Getting paid." But you know what I mean? Like yeah. there, there was so much confusion created because of one ignorant comment. Mm-hmm. Um, that, thankfully enough, I had enough um, ability to reason
0: for myself mm-hmm. um, and question and, and and to question. Yes, yeah. Because I think had you had a different background, or for other people too, Cal. Like if, if you've grown up in a culture where there is, the, there is a shaman in the community, um, then... It, you well, would, you
1: were. You were that shaman.
0: Yeah. and, and um, But if you don't have the experience of that or of understanding it... You where, shake your
1: head and go, oh, yeah, okay, that makes sense.
0: Right. And you believe that person. And then you make every shaman and everybody that ever lived in a community with a shaman all wrong, mm-hmm. which keeps them all on the other side of your experience mm-hmm. instead of an inclusive environment you put the you put them on the outside of it mm-hmm. and 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 I think we can do it so quickly um just by being like you were just in one class with one professor saying one thing or one mom uh or one dad saying one thing at the dining room table or one TV mm-hmm. show whatever it Love is your
1: lists okay oh you illustrate a good point and then you make four more well i try to i know uh, so people I, can connect with different I, kinds. yeah
0: so that they can think of their own then because if they're just listening to us they might hear our experience uh yours or mine but not p- always relate it back to themselves oh, That's great i do it too. an aspect of listening skills mm. okay um I wanted uh, to ask you about being bullied from it because there's there's not a lot of choice to mm-hmm. go to different schools. And even if you do, some of the group can follow you and recreate another group that uh, continues the bullying.
1: Um, yeah. So were you going somewhere specific with that or is it just sort of... Well, I'm. no, you can go ahead. It just, it just came up. Oh, so you interject with questions then? Yes. Okay. Um, yeah. So the, the bullying started in grade six. I, I literally to this day have no idea what happened. Um, I had a really, really strong group of, of seven girls who were tons of fun. We hung out together. Um, and back then we had two separate grade six classes. So it, it was really nice that, um, both the group, the group kind of came from two separate classes, which was really great. Um, absolutely loved and adored them. And one of them had happened to have been my, my girlfriend for like, I don't know, since I was three or four, we grew up down the street together. And, uh, one day they just decided to stop talking to me, um, which was weird. Things kind of came back together before graduation happened, but by the time we moved into middle school, um, I went to sit down one day at the cafeteria table, and they wouldn't let me. Um, which, which, I mean, like I, I laugh about now, just in the sense that you see it in movies, and you know, you're like, wow, people actually behave that way, and it was like, yeah, that actually happened. Um, <clears throat> they they literally wouldn't let me sit down at the table with them, and didn't want to talk about why. Um, I was just not ever invited. To be a part of their group again, which became difficult to meet new friends because this strong group of now six or five people, I think, because one moved away, um, was kind of word of mouth telling people to not be friends with me. Um, so med- middle school was was difficult. I found maybe one or two good friends there, um, which was was nice, but uh, it was isolating. It was very isolating, and when. Middle school ended. I was in a public system at that time. Had gotten out of out of the Catholic system, I think, in grade four. Um, but because of the bullying issue, I didn't want to go to any of the public high schools because there was someone from from our feeder school in every different high school. So I ended up back in the Catholic system. I wanted a uniform. Uh, that was the only reason I went, <laughs> because I didn't want to be made fun of anymore. Uh, so I figured if we all looked the same, there'd be no bullying, which I was oh so very wrong about. Um, but the, the high school one got really bad. Um, but what, like what I was saying, the, the isolating experience that created drove me more so into my home, uh, and back to my family, which we, we were, I'll say a very close family, um, compared to most. Um, and you had always been my best friend. So it wasn't an issue in that sense because the family unit had still been good at that point. Um, but it certainly took me away from a social setting, uh, it took me away from parties, it took me away from, um, I think, the damaging things that, that people continue to do to each other when you're kids and still figuring out who you are and how you belong in a group. I just didn't belong in one, so I was trying to figure out who I was here. Um, and so I had that, that really wonderful um, model watching you read. Yeah, I've always been a, a crazy bookworm, um, growing closer to my brother who became a confidant and, um, he's always had a great sense of humor. And I think he learned how to be there for me and kind of be an older brother instead of just my, you know, my younger brother, we mm-hmm. kind of went back and forth, which was cool. Um, and my dad too, at that, at that time, um, was, uh, I'll say a good listener. Um, he, I think he did what he could, uh, but i can only imagine how discouraging it is to be a parent when when you don't have answers and can't can't problem solve this uh when your kids being bullied um but yeah it drove me further into the books it drove me further into my um my communication like you were talking about learning to communicate with you guys telepathically um and i think to be more clear so that there was less um conflict cuz you know i've always hated conflict right Uh, so if things were unclear in the house, the family sat down and and worked to clarify everything. We, I learned to articulate what I was feeling instead of just being bitchy. I wasn't that, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I wasn't that teenager that everyone Mm -hmm. apparently dreads. Um, I, I learned how to say I'm having a bad day. I don't really know what's wrong. I need my space instead of lashing out and you guys wondering what the heck was going on. Um, so in the isolating period, I learned more about myself mm-hmm. instead of learning how to just function around others. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I did it in a safe environment because, you know, they tell you that your family is supposed to love you unconditionally, which I've learned is not necessarily the case, but at that time I did have that. Um, so it was a safe place to, to kind of, you know, trial and error.
0: Mm-hmm. And I think like during that period of time when you were being, also experiencing your isolation, um, you were reading Harry Potter.
1: <laughs> it always comes back to Harry Potter,
0: yeah. Well, I just find like, all, yeah, like right. when you think about all of the things, like if it's I, in a, in a movie, no. how you're being isolated because you're being bullied, yeah, and that this goes on for like eight years. <laughs> that during this period of time, your mom's reading all these books, you're reading all of these books. J.K. Rowling is coming out with this whole world saying, and everybody's talking about, all, I, I, I'm not just going to say witches, but I'm going to say magic. other realities, yeah. magic, possibilities, imagination.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually, now that you're saying it, I literally started reading the first book in grade six. Not that <laughs> it necessarily came out that way, but it, it, I started reading when the bullying started. Um, and yeah, I found myself in another world that made sense to me. Even though the stairs moved and you never knew which direction they were going in, it made total sense to me. Um, she gave me a totally different language and I think I hope that things were going to be different. Um, well, I think a lot of people have hope that things are going to be different when they get out of this town. Um,
0: Any little town. Yeah. That's, I think sorry, people that's even I mean. from a big city sometimes feel like I just, they, we all don't we all kind of get that I got to get away from what's familiar so I can figure out who I am. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So no, not everybody does. I just heard, I better correct that. So (laughs) I'm correcting. No, yeah,
1: you're right. Sorry, that that was a generalization again. Uh, Yeah. So where were you going with the bullying, aside from my isolating experience?
0: Well, just in the. uh, I was just curious as how it plays out. That this is part of how you discover who you are.
1: Uh, Because I couldn't run from myself, and I think that's what I was trying to say earlier. When it took me away from social settings, is that I think so many of us, especially as children, because you're you're core people change, right when when you're young, it's your family when you' when you're a teenager it becomes your friends and even more so in university in your 20s. but because I missed that entire period in my life, um, I couldn't run away from myself. I was left alone literally um, with my own thoughts and because you know we don't have a family of drinkers or people who have um, vices, uh, oh nope, I have chocolate. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was wrong. Uh, but we, we don't have those, those uh, um, de- destructive addictions. So, you know, I just kept my head down and played volleyball, learned about body awareness, learned about movement, um, learned about my role on a team, even though I wasn't accepted, um, which I think was a really cool thing, too, mm-hmm. how you could function on a team but not be welcome on it. Can you talk about that,
0: Cal? You played volleyball in high school. And actually, middle school? Yeah. Uh, is Elementary. Elementary. Yeah. Right from grade five or six, <clears throat> uh, right through to the end of high school, and then off into university, you played, like rec. I'll say, wreck in the yeah. city. But during high school, and when you were being bullied in grade seven, and well, sorry, right from grade six mm-hmm. on, you're playing on a team where all of the girls um, are isolating you. And this goes on for like eight years.
1: Yeah. It, and I didn't, I didn't, I don't think I so much cared in middle school cause there was no traveling. Um, but it, it became awful in high school when, uh, you started traveling for your, your games and spending nights away mm-hmm. because it meant you had to share a bed and a room <laughs> and no one wanted to, to share with me. Um, so how to explain that to the coaches that no one wants to pair up with you? Right. Um, Mm -hmm. which was so not fun, but I, I do want to mention that like there was one girl on the team who no matter what was so kind to me. Um, and, and that was, uh, probably the reason I could stay Mm -hmm. Um, because I did want to quit at one point, but, um, which I think is cool because, and it's not just about volleyball and it's not just about, you know, those team sports, it's, it's. That there was just, it only took one person to, to say something kind or to acknowledge me. And I know that's a low bar that some people will say, like, a oh, big deal. But for her for to, to walk in the change room and her to say, hey, Kelly, how are you? Um, was so much more than I was getting from the rest of the team. Um, or for her to, it, they wouldn't even, you know, um, high five me between plays. And, you know, every single play is high fived after volleyball, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and she always made a tremendous effort to, to come over and make sure that I felt included um and i i never failed to recognize that um and <clears throat> the reason i the reason i talk about that is because it kept me going it kept me going knowing that i was still okay being me um and that there was someone there that was that was supporting it even if she couldn't understand where i was coming from um even if she didn't really understand uh any of the situation did
0: she even understand why all the other girls were bullying you
1: mm, I, because
0: yeah. it wasn't about all the other girls it was about one girl yeah. who controlled the re- the other girls on the mm-hmm. team by telling them a story mm-hmm. that I, wasn't accurate. And sure. and I, and I yeah. can't
1: answer that because we've never really discussed it. It was never talked about um uh outright. It was I cuz I never I never wanted to stand up and defend myself because they were all lies. So why stand up to a lie and try and prove yourself? You can't. It was exhausting. So I yeah. just decided, okay, the volleyball is what I love. I'm going to continue doing that, learn what I can from it, and like I said, it's helped me with body awareness it's helped me with with all kinds of things about the self um and i've car- i've been able to carry that into my adult life and my practice and and teaching others now so i'm i'm thankful for that one person who made it i'll say bearable um and just gave me you know small words of encouragement when when i needed them
0: mhm mhm well and uh, how like how does that has that inter or has that interfaced with feeling isolated because of your gifts?
1: Yes, because the issue, without going too much into detail about it, the issue in being bullied in the first place in high school was that um, I was a confidant for a lot of guys. I didn't date, I, but I was someone that they could talk to. And girls saw that as threatening. And while I never went on a date in high school, <laughs> um, for some reason, I was still a threat. So how do you defend yourself against that? How do you stand up against that and just say, they're just talking to me? Um, but it has interfaced in the sense that I was a communicator. I was someone that they, that was a good listener. It was, it was who I was instead of being the girlfriend who didn't listen, the girlfriend who got into fights and confrontations. Not that everyone was doing this, but
0: even Mm -hmm. when you just
1: need someone to talk to, um, to debrief things with, I, I was that person. And so, Um, I still am, you know, as a life coach, I am that way for, for many people, my clients, my friends and and whoever else, um, decides to spill. (laughs) Um, so it's, yeah, it was very much who I was and didn't know how to step away from being because I, I love genuinely connecting with people. And if people feel confident enough to, uh, sorry, confident enough to open up to me, then of course I'm going to pay them the respect that, that human deserves to be listened
0: to. Mm -hmm. I find it interesting that while you're giving that to one person, the people around them can team up on that person to dislike you. And it's something that you still experience because of these gifts today, Mm -hmm. because of who you are and what you do and what you can do for another person.
1: Yeah. And I think like, and it's important to mention that maybe, and maybe it wasn't this way back in the day. Um, It's... It's so rare that we pay each other that respect to listen genuinely, to look each other in the eye, um, to be patient and not interrupt, to let someone just be, you know, be silent with them or put a hand on their back. And I think it's misinterpreted so much as flirtation or I like you or I want to be with you. And that in high school, that had never been my intention. And so when it was misinterpreted by so many people, it got labeled a lot of not nice names. Um... But even today, if, if I become that for another person, boundaries seem to be crossed because they don't understand the intention of just being kind to another person.
0: Hmm. Um,
1: and that makes me sad.
0: Or professional.
1: Yes, because as soon as they confide in a in a coaching session, I, I had a gentleman the other day call me and say, well, I just want to talk to you as a friend. And so awkwardly, I had to say, we're not friends. I like I'm not saying this to be rude, but you're not my friend. I wouldn't call you to go out for dinner. I wouldn't call you to go to a concert. You, you come to see me as a coach and that works very well in terms of that relationship, but that doesn't mean I'm here to fulfill the role of friend for you. Um, anyway, again, it's very, it's very confusing for people because not many of us have that person in our life, um, who can fulfill that role.
0: And I think, um, sometimes like if you're, I'll say a doctor or a psychiatrist or a therapist, you're booking the appointment. People see that as a profession mm-hmm. and they see that as they can't call their psychiatrist at home after hours or text them and um, say, Oh, I've just got one more question.
1: But people fall in love with their therapists Yeah, that's true. and their lawyers because yes. these professionals are, I'll say cornered because of their, their role to listen, to provide advice, to be um, empathetic and so we start to think oh this person must really care for me so you know i'm uh, whether it's flattery or it's just that you've never had this before you start to develop what you think are feelings for this person um because of their professional role so i don't mm-hmm. i don't know if you were going to that place
0: but mm-hmm. it's still confused mm-hmm. okay back to your story i don't know what i was talking about no it's okay we're we're just going to go back to your story um oh okay because originally we were talking about your childhood. Oh God. Uh huh. <laughs> and um, how you grew
1: up with these gifts. Okay. I need you to ask me a question. Because I mean, I could go so many different places, right?
0: Well, throw one at me. Uh oh. Um. I'm.
1: I don't know. I my head goes to Andrew. Oh, that's the next on my list. Is your brother? I still find it funny that you have a notepad. You don't prepare for anything. No,
0: I know, but. Uh, the truth is weird. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. I, and I, I'm not certain what to... I mean, one of the first things I think of when I think of you and your brother is how you had arguments in your head that you could be in two different rooms, that you could um, be upset with each other about something, and then 20 minutes later, pass each other in the kitchen. You good? You good? Yes. Yeah. And and it was done. Mm-hmm. And And not to say that you still didn't communicate as humans. Well... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like uh, verbally. Ver- verbally, but that you were both you and Andrew, um, were able to do this.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, oh, okay. and still are. Yeah. I, but I think there's a lot to be said there because we still fought like brother and sister. Like we normally like, well, that you hear people normally do. Um, <clears throat> and it wasn't necessarily fun. Cause I think some people will hear that and be like, that's so cool. Um, it wasn't always enjoyable because when you, when you do the telepathic stuff, um, when it's confrontation, when it's about fighting, uh, there's also a feeling of maybe it not totally being resolved, um, or not being articulated, which can be, can be, uh, difficult. Um, so there is an element of it being wonderful and being that connected to someone, but you still want your validation, Mm -hmm. And and we've talked about this before about I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, you know, like, Mm -hmm. and it's not that you should be the right one in the argument, but you want to know that you heard them properly, you want to know that Mm -hmm. you did it, you did it well. And I don't think that I ever had that affirmation as a kid. Um, I know that we we did acknowledge that it happened by that head nod when we passed each other in the kitchen or something. Um, But I think I still wish that we had been able to sit down and talk about those things, Mm. uh, which we didn't, we didn't do. However, um, we've worked through years and years of, of, um, learning how to communicate verbally with each other now. And I think that that is a, in a much stronger place. And I do feel more connected to him. Like I know if something's wrong or, or that he's okay in a telepathic sense, uh, and then we'll shoot each other the text to get the affirmation. And I love that we've built to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, and I will say that that <coughs> comes from both of us putting forth an effort, it's not just something that comes effortlessly. It's something that we both uh, wanted and and went after and mm-hmm. didn't give up on, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. It takes consistent work mm-hmm. for both of you to do it. I think sometimes when people think of relationships, they think they should be easy if you're a brother and a sister um, and that you should understand each other. Be, um, because you're sharing the same experience or the same family or the same parents and not realize you well, could have didn't. such different opinions well, or experiences with the parents. Okay, yeah. yeah. You go ahead. Sorry, you no, know, that's, you have your that's what I was going to
1: say. Yeah. Is that when we physically had the same parents, but we weren't parented the same way. Mm-hmm. That's for certain um, by, by dad. hmm. And so there wasn't a shared experience. There was animosity between the two of us.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But anyway... Um, he's played a huge role in developing my gifts.
0: Now, can I ask you about anxiety? Because I think that's cl- <laughs> such a huge issue in our family. His or mine? Well, you pick your own first. Um, but I think other people, anybody that's got anxiety, uh, if we are talking about how anxiety is closely tied into your intuition and your all of these abilities. That some people might shut it off and go, okay, well, now uh, I don't have any of those gifts, so my anxiety is different. Um, but that's not the case.
1: No, I think I, and this might be an ignorant statement, but I think everyone's anxiety is the same. Yeah. We experience it, it differently. We might feel it different places in the body, but um, our, our fears are generally the same.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. So if we can, the reason I'm bringing it up, Kelly, is because I can think of your, your, your gifts and um, anxiety and quitting university, mm-hmm. I can think of anxiety and Andrew quitting mm-hmm. school. I can think of anxiety and me quitting um, yeah. college. Um, Your jobs and my nineteen jobs, um, and I and I think about what a huge issue anxiety has played. Um, I'll, and I don't just mean in our family, but if I look at anxiety like on a global basis. Um, how much everybody's feeling it all the time, every day, all day. Mm-hmm. It's it's never ending now. We don't have, we seem to have down times, even when we're on holidays,
1: mm-hmm.
0: or in, in another country on a beach. There just doesn't seem a relief. So, do you see any connection between your anxiety and failure? Or quitting or change.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I, <laughs> you're, we're probably going to the same place with this, but you and I just read the the beautiful commencement speech by J.K. Rowling. And well, I think yeah, there's another show on that. Um, the anxiety typically came from I don't belong here uh, in my life. So it, mainly in the school system because that's pretty much all you know when you're a kid, um, or, or trying a sport that just didn't feel natural to you um or or something that you desired because you can have anxiety when you're doing something that you don't desire um which which has been a really cool lesson for me too um the anxiety drove me to to remove myself from a situation that I didn't want to be in and that was that was perfect the mm-hmm. anxiety didn't feel too perfect but it was the thing that drove me to take an action um, Mind you, you kind of have to get through the paralysis that you feel when you have the anxiety and get to a place of making a conscious decision and either vocalizing it or or physically doing it. But the anxiety was always about, I don't belong here. This isn't right for me. It's not a a good fit. Um, So dropping out of university was exactly because psychology wasn't what I wanted to do with my life, Um, you know, moving home and quitting a job because the you know, my job at Lululemon had been perfect for me, but I, it had come to its term. I'll say it had served its purpose. Um, and I wanted to be able to, I don't want to say fly cause that's a cliche, but take what I've learned and implement it and not stay in the cocoon because I think you can feel cocooned in, um, or bubbled in that world where everything's perfect when you walk into work every day. Um, I wanted to be able to put it into the real world and I, I've watched that in Andrew too. His anxiety is pretty much stemmed from, I don't belong here. I'm um, meant for other things and you can, you can correct me, but it seems to be the same way for you as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this isn't, this isn't my passion. I know there's more to, to life. Um, but, but I mean, the anxiety comes when you're figuring out those things too, right? So mm-hmm. you and I are fully in the, in these two businesses and there's anxiety every single day of what if this doesn't work? What if the thing I'm most passionate about doesn't work?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think people th- think that, if you're, oh, I remember reading about Cher, Cher Bono or oh, yeah. Cher, just you don't yeah, have yeah. to say her last name, Cher. And um, the she was being interviewed and saying that she, um, someone asked her if she got stage fright. And she said, oh my God, yes, I threw up before every show. And I mean, Cher's in her 60s and she's still throwing up before every show. This is a woman who's been in this career for like 40 years and is massively successful and still has anxiety. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I th- I think about the fact that, she doesn't ever quit.
1: Mm-hmm. She doesn't
0: let it stop her. She moves through it and then finds her space, finds mm-hmm. finds her joy in it. But how often people don't move past the anxiety point. Mm-hmm. They have the panic attack, the anxiety, they don't do anything beyond that. And then they reset and go back into the same environment until they hit the anxiety attack again, hit the reset button and keep the cycle going. Mm-hmm. I whether, think... whether that's to go to school every day or to stay with the same friends and here comes my list, um, or to stay in the same relationship with a friend or a partner, but that you keep hitting the reset bite button every morning. It is like a groundhog day, like mm-hmm. a Bill Murray groundhog day. Mm-hmm. Um, but instead uh, of, of using your, your intuitive gifts and your body that your intuition is acting out that anxiety, mm-hmm. it's pressing all those things in your body saying alert, um, you're supposed to pay, pay attention here. Um, what aren't you paying attention to? And it tries to give you all those signs clearly.
1: Yeah. Well, and see, I think some people will sit there and argue and say, well, if I want to puke every day before work, because I know I hate work, but then Cher's saying she pukes every day before or every, every time she has to do a concert, how am I supposed to know the difference? Um, and I think that's where critical thinking comes in, right? The, the ability to observe ourselves. And, um, that's what it had to do with my anxiety was to sit there and go, okay, is it test anxiety that I get? Is that why I don't want to be in school? Because I just don't want to be tested. Um, is it the social anxiety that I still have? Because I don't want to be in a class of 400 people. Um, or is it the content that doesn't make sense to me, that doesn't doesn't sit well with me, right? Um, or is it what they're pushing for to have after you get the degree? Is it the career that I'm having anxiety about that I don't want to lock myself into prescribing meds or just going, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, how does that make you feel? Um, that life. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's that critical thinking to know the difference and to be able to think out different situations or think through different scenarios to understand um, the, the source.
0: I think that's important because sometimes we're only given a certain amount of information by a certain group of people saying, stay in a certain path. Mm-hmm. And if you don't come outside of just what they're telling you to do, you're thinking on your own, you're mm-hmm. calling your critical thinking that you can stay inside those those boxes or whatever you want to call them uh, because that's just what you've been educated to. Mm-hmm. Instead of coming outside and saying, um, I'm not happy with the part that I've been educated to so far in my blank number of years, I've got to go beyond that. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's interesting, like, I, I, like I, this whole part, Kelly, about being bullied,
1: mm-hmm.
0: to me, um, had a bigger picture to it. Mm-hmm. In that it served so many purposes, and I think I'm not condoning bullying. No,
1: no, it, but it. But okay, it's yeah. it
0: it did something. Yeah, I'm just trying to clarify. It set
1: me on a path. That's for sure.
0: Yes, and I'm just trying to say that so many people who experience bullying, I'm not saying don't stand up and 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 fight and use your voice and all of that type of thing, but is there something that you can get out of it? Is there a reason that you're being cocooned? And if you're going to be regardless because you have no choice about being bullied, like you, like if it's your work environment or, or whatever and you can't leave for whatever reason, um, or you won't for a period of time, is there something you get out of it mm-hmm. until the day where you say, I'm out?
1: Yeah. Neat. What else is on your
0: list? That was it. Uh, uh, but do you, do you have um, do you have other things from childhood? Your own stories that are part of
1: um, of coming into the gifts.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm.
1: uh, yeah. I remember calling you. <laughs> I called you a lot um, at night. Oh God, I'm so sorry. I remember oh, calling you so much yeah. at night, and I'm talking like midnight, one in the morning, um, because I would see uh, people standing beside my bed spirits, not humans. Um, I lived in a bachelor apartment at this time and I would see, um, j- it was actually very consistently an older gentleman standing at mm-hmm. the side of my bed, but then he would kneel. As soon as I got down, like to lay down, he'd kneel and he'd kind of be level, eye level with me. Yeah. And he'd just stare at me. And I remember being so scared, um, and not, not fully understanding what was happening at this point. Um, cause it was still, still developing things. Um, and of course not understanding what he wanted <clears throat> or how to give that to him. Um, and so calling you and asking you if you, if you could channel the energy. And so you described what he looked like and I was able to affirm what I was seeing. So seeing the same person or the same spirit in in the room.
0: Um, Kelly, I think he was the first person that we saw together.
1: Yeah, I think, I think you're right. That we saw at the same time. Aside from like grandpa or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think you're correct. And, I remembered saying like, I just want to know what he wants because I, like I, I can send him love, but that's like that's like the most I can do for him. And if he doesn't want love, he's got to leave. And I that, be, that ended up becoming, um, the way that I dealt with spirits, um, mm-hmm. from there on out, because you know, at midnight I'm still human. I still need to sleep. I still need to actually get up and be able to function in the morning. And I'm not going to sit there and have a two hour conversation with them about life. <laughs> and why they're stuck. And so I would always say to those spirits that come that came into my room or into my I'll call it my space, um, and I would just say to them, if you're here for love, take it all. Stay as long as you need to. I'm I'm sending you love. But um if you're not here for that, I need you to go. Because this is this is a space of peace and of love. And sorry. I, I just from then on out I became more comfortable with the spirits in the room because I knew if they were lingering, it's because they wanted love and they still needed it. And so it became, like, just little guests sitting down, waiting till they were filled up, and then going, "Okay, thanks," and leaving. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh,
1: and I, I ended up enjoying my space a heck of a lot more uh, when when I changed the way I looked at that.
0: Well, we get a lot of phone calls from people saying that my, there's a there's a spirit in the house or whatever, and my my or my child is seeing one, and that has also become uh, something that you and I do in. At helping other people struggle with that mm-hmm. whether it's for themselves or for their kids and that that you do have you you learned I think in that that you had more control than you thought you did mm-hmm. and part of what happens when we go into anxiety or fear is that we have a belief that we've lost <clears throat> power and that we've lost control Mm-hmm. Over and, ourself or situation or another person,
1: yeah, and I think that was the cool thing is that I learned i didn't have to have control over the person, so a lot of people like you were saying, they call and they want us to to make them leave, mm-hmm. and it's like, well, you know, if they just want love, like what's the rush if mm-hmm. that's all that they're there for and and that was the thing i didn't have to have control over them. It wasn't about making a decision for them to stay or go. It was simply about saying, who do I want to be in this situation? Which I think is something why I learned so much from, from these experiences. Um, I didn't have to change who I was. I could offer all that I was to them in saying, I'm just going to send you love. Mm-hmm. And if that's enough for you, then I'm happy to do that for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, instead of saying, you know, I'm, I'm bitter. Why me? Go somewhere else. And how did that work out with him? wonderful. He stayed for a couple of days, but I think you ended up channeling something else for him afterwards. He ended up being for a friend of mine. Um, but he was kind of that first person who brought many spirits into the place to, to, to kind of make sure that it was okay for them to just be loved there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like I said, make it, make it safe or a feeling of safety for myself. Mm-hmm. Um, knowing that it wasn't that they needed something from me in particular, um, that I didn't have to go out and learn this huge, huge lesson or skill. I was just offering them
0: a place to be. Mm -hmm. And I I, I didn't think about it much until now that he was the first person that's dead that you and I both saw Mm -hmm. where if I was describing him, you could confirm it. Um, So that we were seeing. Mm, No? No, because now that I'm remembering,
1: it started when you were doing sessions and I was back in my dorm room at that time.
0: Oh, okay. So we were actually seeing,
1: not at the same time, but we were seeing the same person. Anyway. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Sorry. I well, you. I just, I just, that's interesting to me because, um, I do think it's, it, well, I feel it's really interesting that you and I see the same people mm-hmm. and at the same time and that we can talk to them at the same time, especially, well, I just think it's just fine.
1: <laughs> you know, I, sometimes I feel guilty. <laughs> that's that I my don't. idea sometimes i feel guilty that i don't find it fascinating like i feel oh. like i should be constantly um in awe of all of it and it just feels so comfortably normal yeah that you you say these things and i'm like mm-hmm, okay mm-hmm. A- and there i think there's a different kind of beauty in feeling that comfort and that mm-hmm. that normalness of it whatever you want to call it normality um i don't know i i think it's cool that we can appreciate things in different ways too
0: I definitely have a more excite, higher, higher level of excitement. I know you're still the inner kid. Um, cool. Do you do you have more questions or uh, I'm
1: tapped out. I'm tapped out. You should have got caffeine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm waking
0: up. Are you okay? Okay. It's, it's cool. It's good for now.
1: Yeah, and you know what? Like we will always throw it out there to people if if um, something that we've said has inspired you or or. Um, inspired a question for you then you can always contact us at info at by or if you feel like we've left something out and there's things that you want to discuss send us a topic and we'll be happy to to address it in later podcasts
0: and the website um, by sarlo.com have a great day thank you bye-bye